Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. So we have been talking at length about spiritual gifts, okay? We're still right in the middle of that, of that um, sermon series, okay, that we are referring to as we are members uniquely gifted. This will be sermon seven in that series. It just keeps going. I keep thinking, should I change the name? Nah. <laughs> just add a new number. Um, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 both address the idea that each of us are uniquely gifted, that we are gifted by God to profit the ministry of the local church. But as we've seen, if we're going to be effective at this work, it will require charity. It's going to require love. It's going to require a heart that looks like Christ's heart. In order for our gifts to be a profitable contribution to the mission of God, we must learn how to love. If we want to be profitable for his kingdom, um, it is much more important for us to learn how to love than it is for us to learn how to use our gifts. It's the main thing. Now listen, listen to the opening of this chapter as Paul reminds us that ministry without charity is a wasted ministry. Verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now, remember that Paul didn't speak in tongues of angels and that he didn't actually remove any mountains. And uh, as far as we know, uh, his body was never burned. He's using hyperbolic language here. And he's using it in order to remind us or to exemplify the fact that charity is better than the gifts. Okay? Paul is seeking to illuminate three critical truths. And I think they're on the screen here. Three critical truths that we need to know. And that's this. Charity gives purpose to our communication. There's a lot of us that like to talk. There's a lot of us in the room who have speaking gifts, in fact. And God wants to use our mouths to communicate exactly what he would have us to communicate. Now, here's the deal. Without charity, all of that's vain. All of that's vain. And it loses all the things that we have to say. They begin to lose their purpose if they are not infused with God's love. Charity gives power to our knowledge, and to our faith. And so there's a lot of us who are very gifted in our studies. We learn very easily, and we learn God's word very easily. And there's those of you in this room that are um, incredible students of God's word. And when you sit down to read the Bible, you begin to pull things out of Scripture that, that many other people would have difficulty doing. And, and you gain knowledge from God's word. And here's the deal. All that knowledge does is puff you up without charity. All it stands to do is to make you proud and arrogant, as many Christians are, unless you have love in your heart. Charity gives profit to our acts of sacrifice. There are many of you in this room that are very gifted with, with gifts of service and hospitality. And in fact, today, I can't tell you the number of people that I've encountered just being at church that have treated me with love, that have treated me with kindness, that have made sure I have everything I need, Right, And there are many of us that are gifted to serve other people and to make sacrifice of our time and energy. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, all of that energy is wasted. It is no profit to us if love is not there. So what we learn is love is better. Love is better. You know, in summary, uh, Pastor Jeff Bartell says this, and I think this is a really good quote. It's, I don't think it's on the screen, but our gifting, it defines what we do. Right? Does that make sense? Our gifting, it defines what we do, but charity determines why we do them. Charity determines why we do them. It brings meaning. It brings purpose to all of the activity. So as we begin today, we're going to learn that charity never fails. 
That's what we're going to learn today. In fact, charity never fails, even when our gifting does fail. We're going to discuss today a very important doctrinal issue, and that is that some of the gifts that we see in the early church have ceased in their operation. And so I want to warn you up front that this passage is, um, is a very difficult one for a lot of people. Because the issues that we're going to address today have divided the church, um, really, to be honest with you, only really over the last 300 years and specifically over the last 150, all right? In fact, the, the things that, that we're going to address today and, and that are, are controversial um, are a fairly new phenomenon in the church, but they are prevalent. These ideas that some of the gifts are still in operation, that the, the early apostles were, were conducting and performing is actually a fairly, a fairly recent phenomenon in church history. But nonetheless, I want to I make sure that, that you know from my heart to yours uh, that I love you and I'm thankful that you're here. And uh, if today's sermon is challenging, just let, it be, just let it be challenging. It's not an affront to you as a person. Um, it's not, it's not uh, you know, no one here is suggesting that you are not loved and that you are not important. But what I'm asking for you to do is to put on your thinking caps because this passage is often misunderstood and misapplied by even well-meaning Christians, um, people with all the right intentions, people with love in their heart, people who have uh, a great focus on uh, Christ's will for their life. And so we're going to need to really focus and consider uh, what we're studying today. But ultimately, the Bible isn't actually that difficult to understand. It's not, it's not. It's not that difficult to understand. And if we're willing to approach it honestly and without our preconceived notions, um, then, uh, then we're going to glean everything that we need to glean. Can we agree to that? Can everybody agree that we're just going to trust God's word today to do what it's supposed to do? Okay. So this is what we're going to ask ourselves. You know, I always like to present you with some questions before we get started. And so the questions we're going to ask ourselves today are as follows. Which gifts are available to the New Testament Christian? Which gifts are available to us as New Testament believers living in the church age? Okay, uh, hence the handout for you today. All right. And then the other question is, which uh, gifts has God given me? Which is, is how we're going to close. We're going to try to answer that question. We're not going to get that question answered, by the way. Uh, we're not going to answer it today. That's a, that's a question that's going to be posed for you to work through before the Lord. And really, it's a question that, that you'll have to continue to ask yourself year over year for the rest of your life. Because um, the gifts in our lives, they often change to meet the needs that the church has. And so who you are today is not who you'll be five years from now. And God knows that. And he will uniquely gift you in exactly the way he needs to gift you for that work. Understood? So we'll come back to that. That's what the handout is for. Let's pray, and then we'll start tackling our passage. Is everyone awake? I just charged the last half of a Red Bull. Now listen. Without the Spirit and without love in my heart, the Red Bull is nothing. Okay, so we need to ask the Lord for help. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We trust it. Uh, Lord, and we trust the, the work and the craft of dividing Scripture by comparing it against itself. We trust that work, and we, and we want to use context to inform us today. Now, now I'm weak, and I'm frail, uh, and, and I'm not that smart, but I, I do believe that your word gives us exactly what we need today. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll use my mouth. You'll set me aside, my flesh, my opinions, my thoughts, my preconceived notions. And, Lord, that you would allow me to be um, honest as it concerns your word. And that I might be able to communicate it clearly so that everyone here today may also have faith in your word as well. So be with us. We're trusting you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's begin by reading. We're going to start in verse 8. We're going to finish out the chapter today. Verse 8 says, Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. 
For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now as we've learned, uh, God has given us spiritual gifts, and he's given us those gifts as it pleases him. Right? We don't get to dictate to God what spiritual gifts that we have. Now, you may be disappointed in that. You need to work through that. Okay? But here's the deal. We don't get to dictate to God, hey, God, I really wish that I was this kind of person. I wish you... Okay. Um, he doesn't, he's not under any obligation to make you any different than what he's made you to be. So we don't get to tell him what we prefer. And the reason is because he doesn't give those gifts to benefit you. It's not, a, it's not about you. I, I hate to break it to you. It's, it's not really about you. Ultimately, it's about the common benefit that your gifts give to the church. See, he has his bride in mind. He has the church in mind. And so he's gifted you in such a way that fitly joins you to the body so that everyone might be benefited overall. Does that make sense? I think that's really important. And I think it's important as it concerns this topic. We don't get to just say what gifts are and are not in operation. We don't get to decide uh, what he's doing in our own lives. And we don't get to decide what he's doing in the church. We must remember the context of this passage. The church in Corinth was very confused about spiritual gifts. That's why he's addressing this issue to begin with. with. And, And they were using the gifts without any order or purpose behind them. Okay, so if you, if you look at your handout, I'm going to make a brief reference to, to this now. In the, church, in the church, we have two types of categories, types. You'll see there, it says types there, and you'll see a list and a column. For those of you who like charts, this is cool. For the others of you, you're looking at it. Not only is the type kind of small, but you're looking at it, and you're just glossing over, your, you want to die as you look at it. I'm sorry for that. Now, if you, if you are having a hard time reading it, this PDF is also available on the website under the teaching section if you need to zoom in on, on those tiny words. But we have two types or categories of gifts, and, and they, they are as follows. They are speaking gifts and serving gifts. That's how we would categorize them. In other words, gifts of words and gifts of deeds, right? Gifts of words and gifts of deeds. But, but these gifts also have a distinct purpose, and that's what we need to get to, is the purpose behind the gifts. As they are manifest today, they have a different scope or purpose than they did in Paul's day. Now, first of all, there have always been gifts of the following, edification and instruction. These gifts have always existed, okay? Gifts of edification and gifts of instruction. Edification meaning gifts that affirm the gospel through action. Ministry in the church that is intended to build up the brethren in their heart. Okay, so when I'm doing the work of edification, when I'm using my gifts to edify others, what I'm doing is I'm building them up in their heart. I'm building their faith. I'm building their confidence in the Lord. I'm building their confidence in the church. I'm serving them in a way that inspires them to move forward with a right heart attitude and posture. Now, the other kind of, uh, the, other, the other purpose behind the gifts would be instruction, and that would be gifts that affirm the gospel through words. Ministry in the church that builds up the brethren in their mind. And so if edification builds the heart, then instruction builds the mind, and it's intended to give you a working knowledge of the doctrines of Scripture. And so what we're doing this morning, I hope it's edifying, uh, preaching does edify, But its primary objective is to instruct you in how to live God's word for yourself. Make sense? Okay, now, here's the deal. In the early church, there were also gifts of revelation and confirmation. There were gifts of revelation and confirmation. Gifts of revelation were declarative gifts that were intended to substantiate the gospel. Okay, 
They were, and we'll get into this more in a second. But these are gifts that were in, intended to substantiate. Okay, now here's the deal. Edification and instruction are inspired by a complete truth that we already have. They're intended to affirm what we have in God's word. But in the early church, we needed gifts of revelation and confirmation. Confirmation being performative gifts that substantiated the gospel. We needed those things. Why? Because the work of substantiation was very important to the early church. Because without a New Testament to read and to study and to preach from, the apostles and teachers in the first century needed evidence that the gospel message wasn't just another Jewish apocalyptic cult. I mean, just like today, there are, there are cults and false teachings everywhere, right? That was true in the first century as well. And so when Christians started preaching this gospel, people needed evidence that what, what these men were saying was absolutely valid, right? Because they didn't have a complete word of God. They didn't have a New Testament to inform them. They needed to know that this just wasn't just another one of those, you know, messianic, uh, uh, apocalyptic cults that were popping up all the time. There were so many people, even before Jesus arrived, that were claiming to be the Messiah, and they were raising up armies and military, and there were skirmishes with the Roman population over and over again. These were false teachers. These were false messiahs. These types of people were everywhere. So what God did in his infinite wisdom and in his providence is he gave the early apostles special gifts that were intended to reveal the validity of what they were preaching and teaching. You with me? I'm sorry, this feels like, this feels like LFBI this morning a little bit. <clears throat> they needed sign gifts. They needed them. Sign gifts that would signify and legitimize the message. So why is this important? The Corinthians had gotten so focused on spiritual gifts that they had forgotten the purposes behind their spiritual gifts, which is why, as we continue in our passage today, we need to acknowledge exactly what Paul was trying to communicate. And so here's a very important principle that Paul wants us to learn, and, and we, will, we will let the Word of God kind of unveil this more clearly as we move along, but here's the key point. Here's your, here's your first key point for today. Rather than focusing on the partial and provisional Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to be overly academic here. This will make more sense in a moment. Rather than focusing on the inferior things, the weaker things, things that are partial, things that are provisional, we should focus on the perfect and the permanent. We should focus our ministry. We should focus our time, our energy, our faith. We should put our devotion in those things that we know are perfect and permanent. Which is, which is exactly why um, Paul makes the following statement. I want to make sure you guys got that. Got that? Got that? Got that down? Okay. Rather than focusing on the partial and provisional, which is the inferior, we should focus on the perfect and permanent, which is the superior thing. Okay, so this is why Paul makes the following statement in verse 8. Charity never faileth. It never fails. Love has permanence. Christ's love will never fail, will it? The, the blood of Christ, it never fails me. Isn't that what we sing? It never fails me. And neither should the love that we have for one another. Now, in our flesh, we will fail each other, but the love itself is a reflection of Christ's love, and it should never fail. Divine love will never erode away. It'll never disappear. Christ's love for you does not vanish. It does not go away Sacrificial love will never decay over time. Unconditional love will never fail or fall out of fashion with God. And charity will never be replaced by anything of greater significance. Love is what God has, and he has it for us. He has it for us. And it has persisted. His love has persisted for some 6,000 years now. It has persisted so much so, so that he has been relentless in his pursuit of your very soul. And you should acknowledge that this morning. When we discuss what we want as a ministry, as Kaya, when we think about that, think about all the things that we want God to do in us, it's very easy for us to focus on the things that we do, our activity, isn't it? 
We talk about Kai. We talk about ministry. We talk about our Bible studies. We talk about discipleship. We talk about all the awesome things that God's doing. We're often focusing on the activity of ministry, right? We want opportunities. And we want the gifts necessary to get the work done, don't we? All of us want that. But we must remember that our focus must be on the word of God and the souls of men. And here's the deal. Love is necessary for bringing the souls of men to the word of God. It's critical. You know, uh, we've got these shirts. I don't know if you've seen them. There's, we've, got all, we've got all kinds of gear around here. Okay, These hats are very nice, by the way. And one of the shirts that we have, and you'll often hear us talk about, is that, is, is that the only thing that has eternal value in this life or is eternal in nature, we often say, it's the word of God and the souls of men. These are two things that we as fleshly human beings on this earth, in this world, we recognize they are eternal in nature. And so the best thing that we can do with our lives is invest the word of God into the souls of men. That's going to produce give, uh, uh, blessing for us in heaven. That's where the reward is. That's where the joy of life is. Now, here's the deal. If we're going to be theologically accurate, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, the word of God is eternal. The souls of men are eternal. But love is also eternal. And so on the shirts, it says, you know, the word of God plus the souls of men. That plus, that plus is love. Because love is required for us to do the work of drawing men and the word of God together. It's necessary. Because God is love, is he not? God is love and God is eternal. Then we can know that charity, charity never fails. Because God never fails. And God is eternal. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. And Paul's point is that love, love is permanent. But listen carefully, listen, here's the deal. Love is permanent, but some of the gifts aren't. If we believe that love, now here's the deal, this is really important for us to understand. I'm gonna ask you a, I'm gonna ask you a heart question right now. If we believe that love is the main thing, and I think every Christian who loves the word of God and loves Jesus Christ would, would agree, would agree, would agree with Paul, that love is the main thing, then here's the deal. Then the fact, the fact that some of the gifts actually cease shouldn't bother our faith. It shouldn't bother us because we know that love is the main thing. It shouldn't bother us even, even if it challenges our perspective. Even if it challenges us, it shouldn't bother us. So let's get into the meat of that right now. Some of the gifts are temporal. And the first one that he talks about here is this. In verse 8, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. You know, as we mentioned earlier, the, the letter of 1 Corinthians was written in the early 50s A.D., and in that time, there wasn't a completed scripture. The believers, when we're reading about Corinth, these people, they didn't have a completed word of God. In fact, it wouldn't be until 90 AD when John pinned the last words in Revelation on the Isle of Patmos that the word of God would be complete some 40 years after this church was established. And so these believers were without a completed Bible. Believers didn't have a complete set of doctrine and, and instruction that they could use for daily living. living. They didn't have that. They didn't have that at their convenience the way that you do. So they relied on preachers and prophetic gifts in order to give them revelation about what God wanted for their lives. They relied on that. They needed prophetic teaching. They needed a prophetic word. They needed someone, a preacher, to step in the gap and declare something that was a mystery unless they spoke up. They needed that. They required it. God loves his people. Does he not? 
And so he's always provided truth and clarity for those that seek him, always. He's always done that. And so throughout history, God has often enabled preachers with prophetic gifts who could instruct believers based on a special revelation provided by God. They were used to provide spoken truths that otherwise people wouldn't have had. And so we've got examples of prophetic instruction in the book of Acts, in fact. We remember Agabus. Remember Agabus in in, in Acts chapter 11? He was a prophet from Jerusalem who warned the church in Antioch that Jerusalem was going to to go through a famine. Remember, so the, the churches started gathering their resources so they could provide and supply the needs of Jerusalem, knowing that at some point in the near future, there would be a famine and they would need that provision. So God was good in that way. He was providing to meet the need. Later on in Acts chapter 21, we see Agabus again, and he goes to Paul, and he said, hey, bro, if you, if you choose to go to Rome, you're going you're gonna to go, but you're going to go arrested. Like, this, isn't, this is not going to be good, okay? And so I'm, I'm warning you, uh, be, be, be careful. If you, if you choose to go to, uh, uh, in fact, to Jerusalem, sorry, you're going to be arrested, and you're going to be taken to Rome in bondage. And he warns him of that, and that's exactly what happens. He foretells the future. He is a prophet. So whenever we see special revelation, then that means that there's an authoritative gift of prophecy behind it. In fact, when the words of your Bible were penned, okay, each of those words were given by prophetic revelation. So so your Bible was reliant on the gift of prophecy. You understand that? This complete, the completed word of God was reliant on prophets being given special revelation. Well, what do we have here in our passage? What is it that we have to confront here? What do we need to know? Is that we, we have scriptural declarations, prophetic declarations that one day will fail. Though charity never does. Right? That's the point. That's the context. Charity never fails, but, but one day there will be prophetic gifts that fail. He goes on to discuss tongues. It says, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Now, we're going to talk about tongues quite a bit in chapter 4, so I'm going to save you a lot of the, of the detail here. Or, sorry, 14. Um, so I'm going to save you a lot of the detail here. But as we've discussed previously, the gift of tongues was the gift of speaking an unlearned language supernaturally. All right, so in other words, um, it was a very specific gifting, even though I know, I know that we have altered its meaning and we have abused it quite a bit. Uh, the meaning of gifts, uh, of the tongue's gift, is that it was intended to provide people with a supernatural ability to speak in a language that they'd never studied, they'd never learned for themselves. And that was intended in order to provide hearers that were of a different ethnicity or background or language background to hear the word of God for themselves, even though there was a divide of languages, God bridged that divide. Okay, so that's what the gift of tongues was intended to be. And so we see the gift of tongues most plainly in Acts chapter 2 at the birth of the church, where the foreign visitors uh, that were there in Jerusalem uh, were confronted with all these Christians who just received the Holy Spirit, all those that were in the upper room, they poured out into the streets, and during the feast day began to preach. And these people from these other regions who had different dialects and spoke different languages, when they came there, they could hear the gospel in their native tongue, and they were amazed by it. It was a sign gift intended to substantiate or legitimize the gospel message, right? We're back to the idea of substantiation. It's intended to substantiate. But what do we have here in our passage? We have a scriptural declaration that one day tongues would cease even though charity never does. Tongues will. Next, we have a word of knowledge here. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, if you don't pay attention to the context, this could be confusing. Because you say to yourself, well, knowledge vanish away? I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense. But contextually, if we're looking uh, at the word and we're, we're comparing Scripture with Scripture, we remember that in chapter 12... Paul already mentioned the gift of a word of knowledge, which was a supernatural gift that was intended to provide people 
with a temporary ability to clearly communicate divine truths. It was a gift, it's, to be honest with you, it's a gift we know less about. It's only mentioned four times in Scripture, and all four of those times show up in 1 Corinthians. And we don't know a whole lot about that gifting, but what we do know from context is that, that it was a momentary revelation that supplied God's people with instruction for specific situations. That's what we know. A word of knowledge. Now, now, here's the deal. From our passage, what are we confronted with? What does it say? We have a scriptural declaration that one day sudden revelations of knowledge would vanish. They'll vanish away. Though charity never does. The gift of a word of knowledge will. Okay, I'm going to take a drink of water here. I'm going to let you catch up with me because your brains aren't moving as fast as I'm going here. You guys look dead. I know it's overcast, spring is in the air, allergens. Yeah? As we said earlier, um, this letter was written when there was no completed Bible. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in what would be about Acts chapter 19 or 20. You know, we've made reference to Acts quite a bit. Right? When we talked about tongues and prophecy, and we've, we've referred to that quite a bit. And we all understand that the book of Acts was a transitionary period in the time of the church. And, and if we remember, what's the name of this book? We often refer to it as Acts, but it's Acts of the... Okay? So it's a historical narrative that's intended to relay to us the, all the things that the apostles did. It's not a book of doctrine. It's not a book that, though it should inspire us and provoke us to faith-filled living, though there is doctrine in it, it is not Pauline doctrine intended for the church. It's a story. It's a story intended to remind us of the severity of what we're doing. It's to remind us of how important following Jesus Christ really is. But but Paul wrote this letter to to the Corinthians about... Acts chapter 19, 20-ish. So during this time, we find ourselves in a very interesting transition and a different kind of economy. There were clearly gifts that were being distributed, but many of those gifts were apostolic in nature. Now some, okay, here's here's where where we're at. Okay, we're at this moment right now where a person might say, a good, good, well-meaning Christian might say, well, God never changes. God never changes. What are you, ta- what are you talking about? So, so you're telling me that the gifts cease, but I know that I worship a God that has told me he never changes. He's the same. And what he did in the first century is just as valid today. That's what a lot of believers think. And to all that, I would agree. Because, you know, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 does tell us that God never changes. God is always the same. But here's the deal. That doesn't mean that he's obligated to do things the same way all the time. Here's our key point. God doesn't have to change. In other words, he doesn't have to change his character. He doesn't have to change his power. He doesn't have to change his purpose in order to change or alter his approach. Does that make sense to everybody? I mean, if you've read the Bible, this should, this should be a, a kind of an obvious truth, maybe. But God remains the same today, tomorrow, and forever. He does. But he very clearly changes the way in which he deals with mankind, right? Which is why we have an Old and New Testament. That's why. Because God changed some things. He flipped the script, if you will. That's why we have an Old and New Covenant, it's why we have seven, seven different baptisms in Scripture. Wait, I thought there was only one baptism. No, 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 no. Let's, let, let's come study with me. Okay, who's in the sevens class right now? Okay, all right, so you're, you're learning. There are seven different baptisms in Scripture. Well, God's the same always. Why would he change up the baptism program? Because he wanted to. There's seven different judgments in Scripture for different times and different peoples. It's, this, is why, this is why we can eat pork. 
Because God changes what he does. He changes the program. His character doesn't change. His power doesn't change. His purpose doesn't change. His personage does not change. He's, he is the same forever. It's why we don't stone children when they're rebellious. I mean, you might want to. <laughs> but that's no longer an option for you. Okay? He was like, she's thinking, yep, for sure. We don't sacrifice animals in a temple, and we don't cast lots to know what God's will is. You understand? So we can all acknowledge that God never changes, but the way in which he does things does change. Our God will forever have the same power, authority, and character. Our, our God's will, purpose, and objectives, they will never change, but our God reserves the right to alter his methodology as he sees fit within his omniscient providence. In the 21st century, we, we require, uh, sorry, uh, you, you know, many people would say in the 21st century that we still require gifts of prophecy, and we require words of knowledge, and um, that there should be people in the church that have visions and provide us with, with visions, and, and there's things like automatic writing where a person just writes and it's supposed to provide them with prophetic, deep, and spiritual insight. We, 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 you know, there's many people who are looking for special forms of revelation today. But if that's true, then we would be admitting something very damning. And that is that God's word is not divine and it is not complete. As Pastor Shelby would say, in relation to these gifts, that if prophetic gifts were still in operation, then our Bible would not be complete. It wouldn't be bound, and it wouldn't be established like, like this. It wouldn't be perfect bound Bible. That's what they call this, by the way. This is perfect binding. A perfect bind implies that the book is complete and that pages should not be removed. And so it promotes the pages staying intact. It's a perfect bind. But what Pastor Shelby says is that if prophetic giftings were still in operation, we would require a three-ring binder for our Bible with plenty of space to add new revelation. But we don't believe that. We don't believe that's the case. We believe that God was clear and that some gifts would cease so that, so that something better, something better, something more effective, something more complete could fulfill those needs. All right. Okay, just choose, like in your heart right now, just choose to hear me out. Don't be angry. Okay, this is, this is important. We're looking at God's word. So let's, let's, let's use God's word to provide us with the evidence we need to believe what it says. Let's look more closely at how we can know this to be true, how we can know from Scripture that these gifts have ceased. Verse 9 says this, For if we know in part, and we prophesy in part. In other words, these gifts were partial, Understood? Partial, incomplete, in light of knowledge and truth that is better. In other words, if, if, if there is a partial prophecy, if it's in part, if those gifts are in part, that means that there's something superior. There's something that is complete. Verse 10, but when that which is perfect or complete or mature is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. So Paul was telling Corinth that those gifts of prophecy and tongues and knowledge were imperfect and partial and would be done away with, and that those things would be replaced with something perfect and complete. So what are those things? What, what, is, it, what is it that's perfect that would replace it? Now, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to say, uh, there's a lot of debate, there's been a lot of debate about this for a long time. And there are many different views that people have about this phrase, that which is perfect. And we got to ask ourselves, how do we know, how do we know what that means? How do we know what that is? When it says that, how do we know? Because obviously, obviously, it has huge implications to the way in which we function. 
Now, I do believe that Paul left it ambiguous on purpose, and we'll uncover that here in a moment, but here's the deal. There are essentially two main views on this passage. Are you with me? The first one is this. When it says, that which is perfect is come, that implies the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ, that which is perfect. When Jesus Christ returns for his bride, then the, that's when the gifts will cease. The second view is this, that 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 which is perfect is the completed word of God. And when the word of God appears for us completed, then we know we have, a, we have a perfect truth and the gifts will cease. Now, if that which is perfect is the second coming of Christ, then obviously, if, if that's what it is, then it would justify that the apostolic gifts, the sign gifts, are still in operation. Isn't that what, isn't that, what that would mean? Okay, so, so if, if, if it's Jesus Christ, if it's the return of Jesus Christ, then the apostolic gifts would still be in operation today. But if it's, if it's the completed word of God, if, this, if the, this is that which is perfect, well, that would imply that the apostolic gifts have ceased because we have a completed word. Okay. Now, there are lots of different arguments, and a lot of them are interesting, uh, but the whole subject can be distilled down very, very simply. And I believe that when Paul wrote this, he wrote it ambiguously on purpose because he didn't himself know. He didn't know. And in his mind, he was, I mean, you could see this all through the Pauline epistles. He's constantly saying over and over again that Christ is returning any moment. Christ is returning any moment. And we need to prepare ourselves. We refer to this doctrine as the imminent return of Jesus Christ, that we are waiting anxiously. Well, when is Christ returning? Today. That's the assumption of the believer. You know, people are always, you know, there's always conjecture or speculation about when Christ is returning. But to the believer, whenever you you think about that or ask that question, when, when might Christ return? Well, it's today. Because we are so full of faith and so greatly anticipating his return that the only thing that we can imagine is that Christ will return today. And that is where our hope lies. So Paul knew that. That's where Paul was at. So he wrote this phrase, that which is perfect, because I think that's what God wanted. Now, there are many people, um, particularly from, from Pentecostal and charismatic churches, who, would, who have very strong views about this. And I, I know that a lot of Baptists do too. But I think it can be distilled down to, to very, very simple understanding. Paul was fully convinced that Christ was going to come back any moment. So that if Christ came back before the completion of the word of God, then that which is perfect would have been the second coming of Christ and we would no longer need the sign gifts. But if Christ delayed his return, which we know that he has for 2,000 years now, and the New Testament was completed before Christ's return, then that which is perfect would be the completed word of God. And we would no longer need the side, sign gifts. I don't know if you guys remember uh, when the disciples came to Jesus and inquired about the, 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 the prophets. And they asked Jesus uh, that, you know, they remembered that the Messiah would be preceded by the presence of Elijah. Do you guys remember this? And they, they basically asked him about that. And they were, they were curious, like, should we be expecting Elijah? And Christ said that he actually, that Elijah had already come. You guys remember that? I don't know if you've read that in the, in the Gospels. He's, he's like, well, Elijah has, has come. But no one could receive it. When they heard it, they were like, what? They didn't, they didn't understand. And what, who was Jesus referring to when he said that? John the Baptist, John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist is John the Baptist, and Elijah is Elijah. How could they be the same? Listen, if the Jews would have received their Messiah in Jesus Christ, then John the Baptist would have been Elijah. But they didn't. And so John the Baptist was John the Baptist, and he was executed. And unlike Elijah, in the book of Revelation during the tribulation, he did not rise again. Remember, Elijah's going to do that. When the, when the Messiah returns at the second advent, 
Elijah will die, but he will raise from the dead. John didn't do that. So John was just John, John the Baptist, the pioneer of Christ. And I want to point out to you is that God left room for either option to ultimately fulfill his promises. He left room for it. So here's the thing that we need to do. And you can, you can write this down if you want. It's kind of key point-ish. Don't worry. God's always got the bases covered. Whether John or Elijah or the completion of the word of God or his return, he's got the bases covered. He knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. So here's the deal. So we can know that the Bible fulfills this promise because it met the requirement, and listen, it met the requirement of 1 Corinthians 13 first. It met the requirement first. So listen, here's the deal. Our Bible was accepted, received, and ratified as perfect and complete by the earliest saints of our faith. Was it not? Our Bible was preserved and protected by God century after century. Was it not? He's preserved his holy word. Our Bible has caused men and women to lay down their lives in order to obey its commands. People have died the martyr's death many a time because they refused to recant their belief that God's word is perfect. Our Bible has been perfecting and maturing believers since its quiet culmination on the Isle of Patmos. It has changed humanity. It has affected the world. And it is, in fact, perfect and divine. It is whole, it is complete. And so that which is perfect has come. Key point. Our Bible is perfect and complete and supplants our need for the sign gifts in the church. We no longer need the substantiation. Why? Because everything that needs to be substantiated is right here. Everything that needs to be known for the believer is right here. I don't need a special revelation. I don't need an oracle. I don't need a word of faith. I don't need a word of knowledge. I need the word of God. That's what I need in my life. I need to know it. I need to give my heart to it. I need to let it affect me daily. It's more than I can handle, to be honest with you. If there was more to know, I couldn't know it. This, this has got my hands full for right now. This is it. This is what's perfect. And Paul furthers that, advances that thought by saying in verse 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child. There's certain things that were, are childish because they're impart, they're impartial, they're, they, are, they are not full, they're not fully developed, they're not mature. So when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And let's, let's be honest, some of us need to put away childish things today. You know, many, as, as, as young adults, many of us want nothing more than to put away childish things, right? Because, you know, <clears throat> I've seen the year-end reports on some of your guys' um, video game activity. I've seen it. I've, I've seen how many hours that you spent in 2022 playing whatever it is that you play. You know? Look, there's, there's, a, there's a growth thing here. There's a growth thing happening. For those of you who spent like, I mean, the numbers that were reported were something like, oh wow, the 300s of hours. But look, here's the deal. The truth is that all of us should be striving to put away immaturities, right? And that happens over time. I, like, I enjoyed video games, but when I had kids, I had to, I don't have time for that anymore. I had to put away childish things. And as you grow and as you develop, there's things that you put away. And, and you should be willing to do that. I, I very gladly put away the video games in order to invest in my children and go in the backyard and play with them. Because that's the better thing. But there's many of us, because we don't understand God's word and we've, we refuse to see it the way it explains itself, many of us are holding on to the things that are in part. 
the things that are imperfect, the things that are childish. God is very clear here that that we are learning in 1 Corinthians that there's a difference between immaturity and maturity. And what we know and believe about the gifts is consequential to that. Maturity demands that we put away partial things in order to receive perfect things. In Scripture, the, the word perfect always refers to growing in maturity. So for humanity, we are forever being perfected by that which is perfect. You understand? That without this completed word, we couldn't mature. We couldn't. It requires that which is perfect in order to mature us. And when we come face to face with it, that's the effect that it has. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That's what the word of God does. Verse 12 magnifies this. It says this, For now we see through a glass, darkly, meaning those first century believers who didn't have a completed word of God, they didn't have that which is perfect, they had to say to themselves that, that I, I can only see through a glass darkly. It's only in part. It's, it's, it's like the difference between looking at your reflection in a murky lake. I can see in part. I can see the truth, but it's not completely full. It's not mature. But then, but then, when that perfect thing comes, then face to face. And so here's the key point. Maturity demands that we evaluate ourselves within the reflection of Scripture. Maturity, maturity in our faith, it demands that we learn how to evaluate ourselves in light of the perfect reflecting mirror of God's Word. It's not like that murky lake. It's perfect in every way. We can see every every detail of what's not right. It shows us all the areas in which our faith falls short. It shows us all the ways in which we need to grow in our ability to follow Jesus Christ. It shows us all the ways in which our character falls short. And then it teaches us how to grow. Maturity demands that we evaluate ourselves within the reflection of Scripture. James 1.23 says this, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that is the word of God, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So we know that the Bible is a mirror. And it is not a glass darkly. It is, a, it is illuminated, and it is a glass of great clarity. Continue on in verse 12. It says, Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, here's the question for you. Now, obviously, we've 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 asked we've we've covered some territory here that's difficult, difficult for some of us, and and that's okay. That's okay. The Word of God, as a reflecting glass, sometimes reveals to us things about ourselves, or believes or preconceptions about ourselves that um, that that catch us by surprise. You know, when I look in the mirror, I'm often surprised by the number of gray hairs that are showing up in my beard. Now, I can't deny that it's true, even if it makes me uncomfortable. I have to accept the fact that I have more uh, wrinkles than I did five years ago. Truth is truth. So there's things worth confronting here. But, but, but devotionally speaking, I think this is really important for us to consider is, do we personally identify more closely with what we do in ministry or how we love people? Like when we think about ourselves, when we think about our gifting, when we think about what we're capable of in ministry, do we more closely identify ourselves with the activity of ministry 
and maybe the gifting that we have, the skills that we have? Or do we often think of ourselves as people who are learning to love? Learning our gifts or learning to love? What do we emphasize when we consider ourselves as we look at God's perfect work? I would like to believe that all of us are learning how to be more loving and charitable people. If the gifts, if these gifts in particular cease or they fail or vanish, will we embrace charity as a more perfect way? If all we were left with was God's word, souls, and love, would that be enough? Would that be enough for us? I think those are very important questions. Now let's come back to the questions that we asked at the very beginning of our service. And the first is this. Which gifts are available to the New Testament Christian? Now on your chart there, what you see is my best attempt in one page to show you both the temporary gifts that have ceased as well as the permanent gifts which remain after the word of God was completed. And so there's scripture there. You can study that out. You can look at it more closely. You can ask harder questions. You can go to your Bible study leader and discuss this more, more uh, as, if you want to, okay, if you need that. But, but from scripture, I believe that there are permanent gifts and there are temporary gifts, the temporary gifts being those that are signed gifts in order to substantiate the gospel. Now we have a complete gospel. Now they're not needed. Now, you're looking at that list and you're saying to yourself, well, I know for a fact that my God still heals and, and he heals people and he works miracles in this world. And to that, I would also agree. He does. Now, he doesn't use it through the power of apostolic hands. He, he doesn't heal because some, someone has put their hands on someone else and prayed a prayer over them. He heals because he's God. He heals because when we ask him to heal our parents of their illness, when, when mom has cancer, in his infinite wisdom, he knows how to respond. He loves to hear from his children, and God does miracles in this world, and he heals people. He heals them all the time. I've seen it. I can testify of it. We could spend hours and hours in service today just talking about and testifying to all the ways in which we've seen God do miraculous works. He does miraculous works. He just doesn't do it the way you think it should be done. <laughs> there are too many people who have lost track of God's word and lost track of love because they've emphasized gifts. And let's be honest, people show up to their churches and they're falling out and they're speaking gibberish and they're getting in each other's faces and you know, it's real convenient. God gave me a prophetic word that you're supposed to support my $4,000 mission trip to Israel. You think... That's a convenient prophetic word there, brother. <laughs> and people are, are abusing, abusing what they call the gifts. But I want to tell you right now, God's word points to a better way, a more mature way. And the next, uh, the next question is perhaps more personal and, and maybe even more relevant to where you're at. And that's the question is, what gifts do I have? I mean, we know that we're gifted. We know that God has gifted us, but sometimes figuring out which gifts that he's endowed us with is kind of complicated. It can be difficult at times. And I want you to be full of faith. I, 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 don't, I, I don't fully know who I am in terms of my gifting. I mean, I'm old enough now where I kind of get it, right? Like, there's certain things that feel a little more concrete. Like, I think I'm supposed to be a pastor, um, I figured that much out, okay? And it, you know, and it came with a lot of inconvenient truths. And it's continuing to reveal some things that are very inconvenient about the pastorate. There's things about this gifting that I, that I don't love. But there are things that I do love and I've learned to love. Now here's the deal. God's gifted you too. And on that list, there are gifts that you have 
And you're going to have to exercise your faith in order for those things to be revealed. You're going to have to do ministry. Ministry itself is going to reveal to you the way in which you fit. Have you ever, have you ever done a puzzle before? And you've taken those puzzle pieces, and you've got puzzle pieces that look a lot like different things. And you're kind of moving them around. And a lot of times you'll try to get a puzzle piece to fit, and it doesn't fit. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, unless you're Rain Man, right? I think most people, it's trial and error, is it not? And I think the same thing is true with ministry gifting. I think God has gifted you, but it might take you exercising those gifts in order for you to find out where your puzzle piece fits. And it might change over time depending on the needs within the body. You might blossom in your gifting. Things might, oh, big surprise, things might alter because God's like that. And so we need to be full of faith. We need to ask questions. And so as we close today, this, is kind of, this was kind of a strange sermon, but I think it was one that was needed. We do expository preaching. I mean, for those of you who are visitors, what that means is we walk through a passage. And so we've been in 1 Corinthians for about a year now, a little over a year. And we came to this passage. And this, that's why I'm preaching here. I don't have any objective in mind. I'm not trying to get at certain people like, oh, it's time for this sermon. Got to bust this out. No, that's, that's not what I'm doing. Um, we came to this portion of scripture because we walk through God's word. And God's word uh, demands that we study this. And so, and so I'm putting it before you because I want you to do two things. I, I want you to work through the do- doctrinal struggles that you may have personally and your preconceptions. I want you to work through those things. And I want you to do that in community with other believers. And so if you need to today... Connect with a leader. We're going to have an invitation here at the end. There'll be leaders, Bible study leaders that are kind of lined up here. And if you need to talk about this further, go to them and, and sit down with them and talk with them. Maybe, maybe plan to get coffee and sit down and actually have a hard conversation about this. But the other thing is this, is I want us to take time also today during the invitation to pray that God would reveal to us our gifting. Because it is important. It is pertinent. And And I think that we should invite each other into that conversation. And so I would grab someone and I would say, hey, would you pray with me about my gifting, that God would show me what my gifts are so that I could best be used in an efficient way in God's body. And I believe that God will answer those prayers. Is everybody with me? Can I say one more time something that's very important to me? Um, I'm so grateful for this ministry and for everyone that's in the room today. And I want to remind you that we love you. And and, and I'm... I'm not ashamed to say that God's word is supposed to challenge you. It doesn't change my love for you. It doesn't change God's love for you. Let's just all agree that the word of God is perfect. Right? And that we all from time to time feel uncomfortable with what it's telling us. And let's reckon that we're going to follow him according to his word. So I'm going to invite the, uh, the worship team up. We're going to sing a song of praise. I'm going to pray. And then there'll be people lined up here. If you have anything to work through, here's the deal too. And, and I recognize that this is unconventional. Um, I don't, I usually end services by saying if there's anyone that knows Christ or doesn't know Christ who, who needs to be saved, who needs to be forgiven of their sins, should come forward. And in this message just didn't quite lend itself to that. But I, I will say this. If the word of God is perfect, then Jesus Christ is real. What the Gospels say about who Jesus Christ is are 100% accurate. And you can trust what the Bible tells you, that he rose again from from the dead to defeat sin. And he wants to forgive you of your sin. And if you need to be forgiven of sin today, if you need Jesus Christ to be your Savior, today would be a wonderful day for you to finally let go of your worldly identity And embrace him for exactly who he is, the lover of your soul. It's his charity that preferred you over his own life. And it's his resurrection that insisted, insisted that the devil no longer have dominion over you. Embrace that today. Come forward and meet with someone. Pray about it. Talk about it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. You are, you are so good to us. And Jesus, you are perfect. And I have to say, I cannot wait till you return 
and I can see you face to face. Lord, you know that uh, I have longed for your embrace since I was 12 years old. And uh, fatherless and alone and unsure of myself, um, I can't wait to see you and to know... um, and to know your love in the, in the flesh. But in the meantime, I am satisfied with your word. It is perfect, and it is perfect for me, and it is perfect to inspire in me a kingdom agenda. And so, Lord, I thank you for it, and I ask that everyone in this room, Lord, who's wrestling with you this morning, would determine in their heart and in their mind that they will submit to you and they will follow you and they will obey your book. And that there, they will find the perfecting process. That they will become, over time and with faith, exactly what you want them to be. And so we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.